up, everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, T.J. Bowser, and joining me as always is your doppelganger, Kangabanger, from down under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, honkies. And the second man on the grassy knoll, Mr. Slick Nick. Aloha, dudes. Today, we have a doozy of an episode. First, it's time for your slice of life. Brody, tell them how it goes. Yeah, like I say every week, it all goes down this way, um, you know, Busy at work, back and forth in between work and uh, working on set. Uh, unfortunately, they got me working all weekend this weekend. So, you know, it's uh, well, actually start at 8, finish at 8. Yeah, it's going to be a big couple of days. So really don't know what I'm in for at this stage. But, yeah, it'll be probably a mixed bag of lollies, I assume. Just walking around being a PA, fucking jumping from um, crew to crew. Um, yeah, other than that, I did happen to see when I woke up this morning to Second Sight Films releasing one of my favorite films, an independent film called Session Nine. Ah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Have you seen it? I seen the announcement, and I wondered if uh, you knew what film that was. Oh, yes, I absolutely know what the film that is, and I wouldn't mind actually doing it for one of our future seasons, but it, it is a very underrated, like, I know I say this about a lot of my films, but this would probably be the underrated film that I've ever seen that no one has else really ever seen, you know? It's really about uh, a psychological horror. Um, it has, who's that guy out of CSI, Miami, with the red hair? Oh, uh, David Crusoe. <laughs> It has David Caruso in it, and it's yeah, it's a very interesting film. I don't really want to give away too much, um, but I think it'd be an awesome film to do on one of our shows in the future. Um, other than that, not much else. Slick Nick, what about you, mate? Um, so in a lot of movies this week, um, I've actually been watching a lot of The Wire. Uh, I'm getting into a lot of like old HBO uh, HBO shows, so like The Wire and Oz and all that. Hey, Beastmasters! Um, hey, <laughs> uh, but yeah, about the, uh, pretty much about it. Other than that, uh, I got some new drawing styluses uh, for my tablet and stuff. So I've actually been uh, drawing a lot, trying to get back into practice on that because I haven't done it in fucking years, and I really need to. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, really, that's uh, that's about it. Um, at least on my end. Other than uh, work as usual. What about you, TJ? What you been up to? Well, other than looking like Mar from Home Alone, I ordered some movies. Uh, <laughs> only the boys will get that joke uh, <laughs> uh yeah i ordered some movies this morning from imprint films uh the straight story from david lynch and fire in the sky i uh, didn't realize mm -hmm. that like hey both films that i ordered are based on a true story and i was like that's fucking random but i yeah. totally did not mean to do that <laughs> uh but i'm excited to get my first imprint films in uh they look like they come with the slip covers and everything so i'm super excited and that's uh i waited i waited until the price went down a little little bit because it was astronomical when they first dropped them just to get them here. So I found until somebody was reselling them in the States and they were brand new from a, like a third party person here. So fucking A. But yeah, just been watching movies this week and kind of doing a lot of pre-production stuff on, on the website, trying to get stuff ready for some podcasts and some uh, upcoming shows. But what I am excited for is a talk about this week's fucking film. And that is 1982's Tenebre. The girl was killed five hours ago. Her mouth was stuffed with pages from a book. Tenebrae. Tenebrae? Hmm. I've read all your books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor. And your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. 
We came to check if you knew of any connection. We are going to need your help. This is the first time I've been to Rome. I landed from New York about two hours ago. We found this on the floor of your apartment here. It's addressed to you. Life is in danger. There's no deal in the world worth risking my life for. Tenebrae is a sexist novel. I wish I'd never written that book. I just had this hunch that something is missing. Somebody who should be dead is alive. Somebody who should be alive is already dead. Somebody I know. also known as unsane or shadows and that is from director dario argento who also did cato nine tales in 1971 opera 1987 the card player in 2004 and mother of tears in 2007 brody that cleaver kill <laughs> fucking delicious <laughs> Writers Dario Argento, who also did Demons in 1985, The Sect in 1991, The Wax Mask in 1997, and Do You Like Hitchcock in 2005. Cinematographer Luciano Tavoli, who did The Passenger in 1975, Suspiria in 1977, Splendor in 1989, and Dracula 3D in 2012. Music by Simonetti, Morante, and Pignatelli, a.k.a. Goblin Without Martino, Marangola, and Garini. They also worked on Dawn of the Dead in 78, The Church in 89, and Sleepless in 2001. Maybe a pick for next season. Special effects, Giovanni Corridori, who also worked on A Fistful of Dollars in 1964, Kioma in 1976, Cliffhanger in 1993, and The Stendhal Syndrome in 1996. Producers, Claudio Argento and Salvatore Argento. Production design, Giuseppe Bassan, who worked on Satanic in 1968, Deep Red in 1975, and Cannibal Thoreau in 1981. Budget? We searched high-low and couldn't find one. Even after messaging Asia Argento. And that is a fact. Yes, I'm still waiting for that fucking... I'm still waiting for that reply. Uh, and even if like she doesn't write back and she just sees the message, I will be happy. <laughs> just saying. Starring Anthony Franciosa as Peter Neal, who was in A Face in the Crowd in 1957, The Drowning Pool in 1975, and Ghostwriter in 1989. John Saxon as Balmer. You may know him from Black 
Black Christmas in 1974, A Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984, and From Dust Till Dawn in 1996. Daria Nicolodi as Anne. You have seen her in Inferno in 1980, Phenomena in 1985, and Scarlet Diva in 2000. Giuliano Gemma as Detective Germani, who was also in A Pistol for Ringo in 1965, Africa Express in 1975, and Confusion in 1981. Christian Borromeo as Gianni, who was in Stigma in 1980, Murder Rock in 1984, and Intervista in 1987. Morella D'Angelo as Tilda, who was in Caligula in 1979, Hercules in 1983, and Apartment Zero in 1988. Some notable uh, background characters, if you spotted them. Lamberto Bava as Elevator Repairman Number 1, and Michel Suave as Maria's boyfriend slash man walking with girl on beach. We will do uh, their films in future episodes. Plot Nick! Oh, all right. <laughs> the story follows Peter Neal, who arrives to Rome only to find somebody is using his novels as the inspiration and occasionally the means of committing <laughs> murder. <laughs> as the death toll mounts, the police are ever baffled, and the writer becomes more closely linked to the case than is comfortable. Now, I didn't find any like information on awards, but we do have a lot of information on is the physical media. Boys, let's get physical! So, we have the Synapse film release that was dropped on September 13th, 2016, and it runs 101 minutes, and it's not rated, baby. And it features an all-new Synapse film supervised color correction and restoration of a 1080p scan from the original camera negative presented in the original aspect ratio, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Dual English and Italian language options with newly translated English subtitle tracks for both. Audio commentary track featuring film critic and Argento scholar Maitland McDonough. Maitland McDonough. Rare high-definition 1080p English sequence insert shots playable within the film via seamless branching, which I watched. Don't know what the fuck those were. Feature-length documentary, Yellow Fever, The Rise and Fall of the Jallo by High Rise Productions, chronicling the Jallo film genre from its beginning as early 20th century crime fiction to its later influences on the modern slasher film genre, and I believe that is exclusive to the Synapse release. Original, unsane U.S. version of Tenebre, end sequence, alternate open opening sequence, international theatrical trailer, Japanese shadow theatrical trailer, and it is a 2K Blu-ray region A lot. Bro, do you want to talk about the Arrow video release? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Arrow Video 1982 runs in at 100 minutes and it's rated the fuck is BBFS. <laughs> Every time. British British Board of uh, Film Classification. Right. So basically, uh, yeah, it's not rated, I don't think. But anywho, um, brand new HD restoration of the film. We get an optional original mono English and Italian audio. We also have audio commentary with Argento experts, journalists and writers Kim Newman and Alan Jones. Audio commentary with Argento expert Thomas Rostock. Rostock? Mm -hmm. I think it's Rostock. Rostock. I got it right. Uh, introduction by Daria Nicolodi. Screaming Queen. Scream Queen. Daria Nicolodi remembers Tenebrae. The Unsane World of Tenebrae. An interview with Dario Argento. A composition of Carnage. Claudio Simonetti on Tenebrae. Ooh. Goblin. Tenebrae and Phenomena live from Glasgow Arches. The OG trailer. And a 2K Blu-ray region B locked. Fucking A. And I have the Synapse release. Brody has the Arrow release. And those are absolutely fantastic. And we highly recommend them. Absolutely. fucking Each of them 
feature two completely different sets of features, and that's fucking awesome. Boys, what we dig up? Well, let's kick off this with Quentin Tarantino's called The Murder of Jane via Axe, his favorite on-screen death scene of all time for its intense imagery, including the key moment where she paints the wall with blood. And it is intense indeed. It's fucking <laughs> <So>. awesome. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, it's... We'll get back to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, unlike most films featuring the famous city of Rome, uh, Argento goes for a more modern side of the city in Tenebre, uh, with mentioned author Kim Newman uh, remarking that the Rome of Tenebre is unlike any usually seen on television or other feature films, uh, eschewing all of its usual landmarks, this being a deliberate choice, as Argento had utilized a lot of these filming locations in his previous work, and said that that he wanted to show Italy as not just a museum piece, with even the flashback scenes of the beach being filmed outside of Rome proper in the suburb of Ostia. You know, this definitely captures the traditional amazing set pieces of Argento, but like you just said, in a different way. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's definitely a more modern site. It almost doesn't even look like Rome, just if you're basing it off of right? like how you see Rome on TV or in a movie. Yeah. In an interview with Dario Argento, located on the Arrow release, Argento talks about the movie and himself with this film i took into account all the talk of dario argento that dario argento was a misogynist that dario argento was a criminal <laughs> that dario argento was a murderer as a result a few people thought these things about me so i put them in the film i made them think that dario argento really was a criminal a murderer a misogynist etc but it was also a little bit of a game as well so this was my main reasoning behind the film and the telling of this tale fucking hell. he also goes on to say i'm not a misogynist at all nor a murderer i'm nice i love animals i have been a vegetarian all my life I was just able to tackle my dark side in films. I just really let it speak, and I was really able to get these thoughts out there. But it was really just a joke with Tenebrae, because you, the critics, believe I am a criminal. Well, okay, I am. There you go. The scripts I've written are really my diaries of actual happenings, but it's not true. It was just to mystify things like the girl during the press conference at the beginning, where she accuses Peter of misogyny. <laughs> And so on as he denies it. In reality, though, he wasn't a misogynist at all. He just murdered women anyway. <laughs> I love how that reads. <laughs> uh, so... One of the main recurring themes uh, within Today Bray to consider uh, is that of doubles and reflections, with writer Thomas Rostock, as we mentioned earlier, uh, noting on the film's exploration of the dual nature of the film's two murderers, as well as each major and minor character, location, events, and objects being a mirror or a double of another. This includes small details, such as Peter's typewriters, uh, background fights during exterior shots, the airplanes seen multiple times throughout the film, as well as the famous reveal of Peter standing behind Detective Germani uh, during the film's final act, showcasing the similarities and differences between the light and dark of each subject throughout the picture. Fucking A. So Argento wrote the film in Los Angeles, and he goes on by saying, while I was working on something else that wasn't produced, someone kept phoning the hotel. At the beginning, it was very nice, very kind, but then it became a little more insistent. Phoning more often, sometimes three or four times a day, this was a little embarrassing and I thought something was up. It was a bit strange and very morbid. He kept phoning and phoning and he became much more menacing. He said that my films had ruined his life and that I deserved to be punished. <laughs> 
So when I'd heard about being punished, I went straight to the producers where I worked and I told them everything. They told me to leave and go to a hotel in Santa Monica by the coast. So I went and had three great weeks there. I got back to work after such a fright as I had stopped writing completely. Then after three weeks, the same person phoned again. He said, so you think you've escaped? And the threat started again. He said things like, you've ruined my life now, I'll ruin yours. So I jumped on a plane and went back to Italy. <laughs> Probably the smartest thing to do, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I am. So uh, another incident uh, leading to the inspiration for the film occurred whilst Argento was staying at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, uh, during which a Japanese tourist was actually shot and killed in the hotel's lobby while he was staying in there um, with a second unrelated uh, but he did hear about it later drive-by killing that took place later at a local cinema. Uh, upon reflecting on this as well as the distressing calls that Brody mentioned, uh, Argento is quoted as saying that the obsessive fan and his threats were symptomatic of that city of broken dreams filled with celebrity stalkers and senseless crimes. Speaking specifically of the two murders taking place during his stay, to kill for nothing that is the true horror of today. When that gesture has no meaning whatsoever, it's completely repugnant and that's the sort of atmosphere that I wanted to put across in Tenebre. So Argento talks about the film's themes. You see, the Catholic Church has great importance in Italy, a big influence in fact. In Italy, being gay was not allowed. Many things were frowned upon, especially homosexuality. So in the film, I wanted to recount this subject freely and in an open manner without interference or being ashamed. So I did the film, but they gave it an 18 rating to which I was very upset about very angry. It was all because of this sexual diversity. Argento also talks about making films with his friends. Ooh. Michelle Suave took Lamberto Barva's place as my assistant director on Tenebre. So this is how we ended up doing lots of films together. It was a good partnership. Then just as I had done with Lamberto Barva, I did two films with Suave, The Church and The Sect. Two remarkably interesting films indeed. Working together on the church, we filmed in Hungary, and the sect we did here in Rome. It was a wonderful experience with him. They were good years working together. Those films are awesome. Yeah, I really need to check future, them out. Future picks, possibly? Yeah, they were released as Demons Ooh. 5 and 6. Uh, Suave also did the uh, the Jello slasher film Stage Fright with the owl killer, where the dude has a giant owl head and oh, shit. with an axe. Sick. Yeah. He also did a movie called oh, Cemetery yes. Man. I think I've actually heard of that one. Yep, yep. I've read up on that. That actually doesn't look too bad. Yeah, it's on, it's on YouTube, Brody, I believe. Oh, interesting concept. Makes it easy. <laughs> uh, the thing is with uh, Suave, we'll probably talk about it whenever we do his. Uh, he did all. The, he worked under Argento, and Argento kind of helped him along. And as great as he started to like get his breakout films, his son got really sick, so he stopped making movies and focused on his son. Understandable. Yeah. So that's huh. literally like. So he has all. He has like these four horror films that are just fucking awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them written by Dario Argento. Oh, that just makes him even better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, at least as of 2007, I wasn't able to see any update. Uh, I found another article from 2019 that said the same thing. Um, though the film had a moderate box office office success over the entirety of Europe as a whole, uh, the FSK, which is the official film censorship censorship agency in Germany, uh, had actually banned the release of Tenebre in Germany. Um, it did eventually come to the country, but it was heavily censored. The uncut version still has not been released over there, and the FSK actually claims that it likely never will be. So Germany may never get Man. to see the, the full uncut Tenebre unless they're yeah, using VP or something. <laughs> so he goes on by saying, why had I done a GLO 
after such a long absence. Well, mainly because I was annoyed that so many other directors were doing Jello every year and using similar titles featuring animals like mine. It was very irritating. In fact, which is why I had been making fantasy films instead of making fantasy films instead for at least a few years. Then, however, I thought, why am I letting this affect me? I started this type of film, The Italian Jello. It had been me that began it. So I started it again and I made Tanae Bray, which I enjoyed doing very much because it was a set in a fantastic and non-existent city. It was it was invent it was an invented town. When I did this film, I said to my collaborators, it will be set fifteen years from now when there is a very diminished population. There will be very few people because of something that no one wants to remember, an atomic bomb. So when you see the streets, they are half empty. There were many deaths but no one remembers the event that caused it. What the fuck? <laughs> Did not yeah. get the impression it was post-apocalyptic. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, it looks really so nice. We also have him... T- <laughs> So we also have him talking about the film that almost was. So I did the film in this strange city with very few people in the streets. Even the big shop seemed quite deserted because even before doing a film, I will always think of an angle of details. I asked myself, what is this all about? For example, when doing Phenomena, I had an idea, and the idea was that the Germans had won World War II. So the world in Phenomena was like this. The population were really slaves of the Germans and Hitler had won. What the fuck? So the schools were strict and this girl was in fact lost in this world of perverse evil people. What the fuck? Dario's head cannons for his own movies are the best. <laughs> I love it. When I was watching this, I was just like, what the fuck am I listening to? But I it down. Uh, props to the man. This, this makes all of his movies so cool, so much cooler. Oh, Just it's <laughs> it's like uh, uh, it's like J.K. Rowling going back and and head like yeah. head all the shit except good. Uh. <laughs> this is like providing unnecessary context on top of an already complex story. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Oh, I love him. I love him so much. <laughs> so, um, for the soundtrack of Tenebre, uh, Argento wanted to return to using the band Goblin uh, after departing from them for Inferno to work with English composer Keith Emerson. Uh, however, uh, as you'll have noticed, um, how it was the actual three artists uh, credited for the music and not Goblin itself. Goblin had actually disbanded earlier that same year. Uh, the, the three members that we mentioned, the keyboardist, uh, Simonetti, the bassist, uh, Pinatello, and guitarist uh, Marante agreed to return to work on the film's soundtrack with the credits going to them individually rather than as Goblin because the drummer actually held the rights to the band's name at the time and because he didn't participate he didn't let him use it. There are so many different ways that Goblin's listed on Argento projects and Simonetti's listed as well that yeah Goblin <laughs> Goblin and Claudio and, Simonetti worked on this in some way. Some members. And God, the soundtrack is so good. That title, I love it. <laughs> the most 80s thing. Uh, I love it too. You know how I much we love I've it? Heard that before. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird. It's almost like you heard it before we started talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we so we have Scream Queen Dario Nicolodi talking about working on the film. I remember very well that 
disappointment at not being able to continue the Three Mothers trilogy, Dario was working with an American screenwriter and he wanted to do a more realistic type of movie. This was a character very unlike me. I preferred playing Gina Breezy or Miss Bruckner in mm. Phenomena, who was the mother of the beast. I just found them more fascinating. I remember wanting to have Veronica Larios's part. It was a small role, but perhaps with more character. The role of Anne, the assistant, is regarded in the theatre as the tinker. She had no character at all, and I like roles with lots of character, regardless of whether they are strong or weak. Entirely fair. Um, <clears throat> so also speaking of the casting, uh, originally the role of Peter Neal was reportedly offered to actor Christopher walking oh um, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yep. this that, uh, that would have made this film a whole nother level it it would have probably been would have busted him up <laughs> <laughs> uh so uh, before the role eventually went uh, to Frankie Oso, uh, though this potential choice was reflected upon by English author and film critic historian uh, Kim Newman, who's also uh, uh, done some more commentary on this as well. Um, in his commentary for the film, he said that the uh, the choice potentially would have made the twist and the reveal in the end um, for him being the killer uh, too obvious for the audience. Because they're like, that's, <laughs> that's fucking Christopher Walken. It's him. <laughs> it's Christopher Walken. Uh, and that Frankie Oso was capable of bringing more to the role uh, that was initially asked of him. Um, so they ended up uh, deciding to to go with Frankiosa instead. But yeah, I agree. That would, that would have been fucking If you want to watch Christopher Walken in, in a Jallo vibe movie, watch All American Murder. Yes. I, look, yes. I, I don't care how much he would have, like, people would have actually thought he was a killer from the word go. I just want to say that. The moment you said that, bro, oh, yeah. his face was just like completely just <laughs> trashed. Like, oh my god, you can see his just heart ripped out of his chest. <laughs> yeah, you can see the moment where my heart breaks in half. <laughs> I found that note and I went, this is fucking going in the <laughs> Oh, that would have been crazy. That would have been amazing. Fuck. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Got me all upset. Oh, uh, we broke Brody. <laughs> so we have Nickelodeon talking about Anthony Francosia. During breaks in filming, he was as professional as he was during the scenes, but sadly, he and Dario argued quite often. Dario gets annoyed and bored with actors, although I think he should have been an actor himself. See, that right there is the reason why you get Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he probably would have had more fun filming it. Um, because this was whenever uh, uh, what's her name and Argento were uh, romantically like involved. Yep, was during this, but they were fighting over. I think it was the rights from Suspiria or something like this. So they were already arguing, and Frankiosa and her uh, became friends because I believe it was they both trained under uh, Tennessee Williams together. So they like bonded over it. Mm. And Dario was like, "Stop, stop, stop fucking talking to my girlfriend." <laughs> Been all jealous. Anyway, uh, Nick. Lodi talks about some of her favorite scenes throughout the film. There are some scenes that I love, for example, the murder of John Saxon with the bright light shining to which I thought was fantastic, the murder of Anthony Francosia, and the part where Giuliano, Gemma's ears are super 
impose over their killers in every part of the world where I have seen this film, the audience jumps at that point, similar to the reaction of my death in opera with all of the special effects exploding at the back of my head. Dario really knows how to do those scenes extremely well and with lots of scares. So I found something that uh, plays into what we were talking about as well the other day, TJ. Yes. The film actually features a direct nod uh, to George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, Mm -hmm. of which Argento oversaw the edit and rescore for the European release of the film, uh, with the Muzak uh, that's played in the department store near the beginning of the film during the uh, the shoplifting scene, actually being taken directly from Argento's version of the film release from 78. So, okay. yeah, he reused the uh, the Muzak <laughs> from his cut from uh, Dawn of the Dead. So some of the things I know about the creation and the behind the scenes of this film. Uh, so after Argento made Inferno, it kind of got a, like a lukewarm reception and didn't really make as much money as they wanted to. So Argento's father, uh, which was his, like his main producer on most projects, truly insisted that he goes back to what he was best at, and that was Jallo. So he was more pressured to go this route with this film than he was doing with the supernatural route with Inferno, and which is why we didn't see Mother of Terrors in 2007 when he was able to like finance it. Uh, we would see a unofficial sequel to Inferno in 1989's The Black Cat from Luigi Cosi, which is another director that worked under Argento for a little bit, and that has another mother in it. Uh, but that's that movie's like meta in a different way, and hopefully we get to it at some point. Uh, but it's it's a very unique film in of itself uh but yeah and another thing about this movie is it's thematically it's completely different than the other giallo that argento's made uh like we mentioned earlier just the setting alone is completely different from showing like an arc the architectural side of rome and the other places that he's gone even like uh germany whenever he's done suspiria and stuff uh this is more of a suburbs in a rural setting uh just the way that the characters and the story plays out is completely different from his other Jalo films. And I think that from this point on, this marks the, the tonal shift in his career because then we see films, projects like Phenomena, which we covered in previous episodes, and then all those crazy films that he made afterwards. Now you can say that maybe things took a, a nosedive after this, or you can look at it the way I do and just say he changed things up and went a different direction. I love all of his films, no matter what, I think that they're all special and unique in their own way. And to have him have a take on this genre that he started, as unique as Tenebrae is, where it kind of takes all the tropes that he kind of made a, a thing and turns it on its head and approaches it on a, in a truly different way, is just excellent. And I think that this film kind of set the bar for what was going on, like... In the mid-80s. In the mid-80s. I mean, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a seriously good point um i'll say i mean the hell he made trauma after this mm-hmm. like and that's probably one of his better films in my opinion at least um Exactly. Like a lot of these Argento films that we're discovering, the later ones that now that we're ha- able to have access to them and watch them, uh, it's it's really truly opening my eyes to something completely different. And I love uh, the films he made post 2000. I love the way that they feel. I love the atmosphere that they they create. Uh, it's completely different than what we were getting in America at the time. And it's a lot better than what we were getting in America at the time, because at the time we were getting post scream stuff. And my personal opinion on that stuff is pretty well known. So. Eh. i mean oh no i was about to say descent was good but that movie was british (laughs) exactly (laughs) so boys let's talk about it 
Nick, favorite performance of the film? Uh, I am going to have to go with our boy Frankiosa as Peter Neal. Okay. Um, definitely enjoyed his character throughout all of it. Um, I liked how he, he hid the reveal so well until the end. I personally, honestly, did not see it coming. Um, and even after the reveal, uh, his character, when, when the detective is exposition dumping <laughs> at, uh, the, I believe it's the other detective as well, um, about Peter's like background. Yeah. Oh, he's all curled up in the corner and everything. And he's got the gun on him. Uh, and then just from zero to 150 yeah. <laughs> after that, um, I just think it was a really great performance. Um, again, with the, the whole dual nature thing, um, as mentioned earlier, I think that was Rostock, um, that was pointing that out. Um, he's almost got like his own duality on himself. You get nice guy Peter for the entirety of it. And then there's the reveal. And then you see the real Peter for the entire rest of the film, um, up until his admittedly awesome, uh, death scene. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to go with, uh, Frankiosa. Um, Brody, what's yours? You know, I'd have to agree with you 100% there, Nick. Um, I, I had Peter Neal. Um, the way just how he can, uh, you know, man manipulate the audience into believing it's not him and then to turn into this fucking monster towards the end of the film. Um, it's to me, it's exquisite like yourself. I didn't see that coming at, at all. Like, I mean, it was in the back of my head, but I was saying it about every character. It could be that person. I bet it's that person, you know, typical. But that was kind of cool about this film because it like left you. You know, kept guessing, you know, keeps the ball rolling in your head like who's who and that. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's obviously uh, Argento's storytelling that plays a huge part as well, obviously, that uh, definitely drives it home for the actor. Uh, I just still wish we had Christopher Walken. <laughs> there again. But, um, no, yeah, like I said, exquisite acting. Um, yeah, just it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to explain. It's just like this shock value that's there when it's revealed. Like I said, it's mainly due to Argento's storytelling as well. So, yeah. Uh, TJ, what do you reckon, mate? So, I'm going to go a little different than you. Uh, this is probably one of my more favorable Dario Nicolotti roles. Uh, I oh. do love her as Miss Bruckner in Phenomena, but I think that she's extremely believable. And then her performance in the last act of this film just really goes home. And especially knowing that the scream at the end isn't necessarily hers and she's just acting her ass off. And it's just, it's just super memorable for me every time I watch this film seeing her just freak the fuck out at the end and then also that shot that Argento replicates in so many of his films of the girl in the rain in the back of the car just her stands out and it's just so wonderfully done and I love her the, the dialogue between her and the, and the uh, what is it Peter Neal character uh, mm. just super believable that the relationship's been going on for a little bit and that they truly care about each other but definitely there's something going on uh, I do have to mention I do like that that uh, that one part whatever he's having like those weird dreams like the before the beach orgy thing like mm -hmm. the silhouette of the screaming of him screaming and shit is nuts i do it's like super that. cool yeah if that was actually frankiosa doing that shadow stuff props <laughs> i gonna say nice. considering what uh Considering how highly Newman spoke of him, it probably yeah. was. Man. Fucking a. <laughs> which brings us to a, an interesting one, which is the next one. And I'll just say mine right off the top, 
which would probably be the first killer's house because it was just so fucking massive. And I felt like yes. it had two different mm-hmm. sets in one where you had the basement and then you had the upper portion and it allowed yeah. for like a separation and a completely two different atmospheres from just going from the, the, the bottom to the top. Even the backyard. Yeah, even the backyard yeah. was fantastic. <laughs> I'll say the backyard, yeah. the like side gated whenever maria gets chased by the dog over it and like we, that whole we spend area a lot of time and, in that setting and it allows us to truly appreciate it brody nick yeah you know i i'd have to agree with you there i, I love the layers that this uh property has you know mm-hmm. you got from the basement to the poolside design definitely designed way ahead of its time i do believe the size of those fucking doors were huge i don't even think i've seen them ever invented <laughs> down this way you know like it's pretty fucking yeah, full and on. how smooth it uh, opens. Plus, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah say, that door would be so fucking heavy. Um, but, you know, it's it's um like you were saying, like we get some of the greatest scenes of the film filmed at this house. So, yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree 100%. I'm, I'm going to actually have to be the odd one out on this one. Um, I actually really like Peter's apartment. Uh, all of the, the papers everywhere, the bringing in the, the, the dual typewriters. Because <laughs> it just goes to show like how much attention they paid to every little detail. Um, all the shots, you know, the initial shots whenever uh, the first killer is, you know, calling in and everything. And he's motioning for the detectives and everything because you can see him out in the phone booth outside. Yeah. Uh, and then just... <laughs> The detectives going out and causing a fucking car accident by waving guns around in the middle of the street. Uh, <laughs> the cars in this yeah. movie are awesome. They're all mid-engine oh, so Italian cool. like sports cars. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, there's everything about it, even just the city itself, like the exterior shots of the airport and everything when he decides to leave and go home. Just the city itself is great, but I'm going to have to specifically go with Peter's apartment that the uh, like publisher or whatever was renting for him. Yeah. Hmm. So was Peter Saxon's character supposed to be a Roman that represents American authors or was he an American staying in Rome that's his agent all the time? Or is that just his like... You know what I was talking about? Because his performance, the way he talks, isn't exactly American. His dialogue. It doesn't come right as, yeah, you know what I mean? If it, it is, it's, it's one of the worst accents I've ever heard. But <laughs> You know what I mean? He's like, he's using an American yeah, yeah, absolutely. accent, but he's talking like yeah. his dialogue is written for an Italian act. Uh, that Maybe might he's just like live there this whole time as this American, like he's American. He's yeah. lived there for all these years. He's starting to slowly pick up their accent. Maybe, I mean, it doesn't really like bother me. I just something that I picked on. I think the only thing that really bothers right. me about the performance would be the dubbing of that one inspector where the, the actor is yes. kind of really cold. Yeah, and then the dubbing yep. is kind of really obvious. But you can also look at that as very weird as what if he's cold on purpose? And you can say that that adds to the strange atmosphere of this film, especially adding to the context that Dario uh, provided in his uh, strange headcanon. <laughs> fucking new. So if you do that and be like, oh, this guy just fucking hates his life because he realizes like it's the end of days anyway, then it adds a whole nother layer. I was like, yeah, it, it could even. I mean, if if it's a post nuclear world. Yeah. It very well that, you know, like the agent could just maybe he left the U.S. because it got nuked. I mean, we only see New York City yeah. as like America at the beginning. So, like, I don't know. Did you know, maybe he moved. It could also very well just be it's structured Italian because Dario wrote the script. And Fuck, the, I should have watched the, the Italian just... version with English. I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it could just be that. It could yeah. just be the guy is just reading the script directly straight with it. Just I'm just going to read what Dario gives me. I'm not going to be like this kind of come hits the ear wrong yeah. or something like anything like that uh, maybe favorite scene or shot boys i think uh the insane crane shot of the hooker's house uh 
Yeah, they have to use CGI to do that stuff now. He just he just did it. Yeah, I think he does like, an awesome crane shot in Deep Red. That's kind of like a precursor to this, but this is next level. This is just absurd. <laughs> I I wonder if he did you watch the uh, the scene that I sent from Soy Cuba? I did not. Is it similar to this? It's very much. Okay. Um, it's like a three minute long take tracking crane really? shot of a of a funeral procession and it is insane especially considering it's almost 20 years older than now this does movie. it do the crazy shit that this one does like goes over a house and then in a window and it goes over really? a house like through windows through like people all leaning out their windows and everything watching this funeral procession go by it tracks down buildings back across the street like it starts on street level and then tracks back goes up a building goes across the rooftop like through another apartment complex and everything now like who, all the uh, way through a hallway who and everything did that film? um i believe that was a soviet movie okay. um let me take a look really quick it's from 64 uh but i do know that the director's name uh mikhail kalatazov or kalata yeah kalatazov oh, he's a palm d'or winner um he did uh cranes are flying yeah uh, my alternate would probably be have to be the the random shot of the red filtered eye. Yeah, yeah. that's so really argento, so argento. Oh, oh, it's so is. <laughs> uh, I probably say also uh, honorable mention to the the flashback beach scenes. Yeah, as well. Really mysterious. Really keep you guessing throughout it. You're just like, what does this mean? And then when they start, the kind reveal of, at uh, the end where they're yeah, yeah, they're shifting it, or it just focuses more and more a lot on those like red shoes, mm -hmm. and they keep coming up in the real world, and then back into the flashbacks, and you just get a little more each time it's used. I probably have to uh, have to go with those. Brody, I think the reveal of Peyton Neal after he kills Inspector um, El, is it El Tiri? El Tiri? Yeah, the, the female. Yeah, I think that scene is blocked incredibly well where he walks uh, into right frame up, yeah when you see the shadow track along the floor and then it pans up to reveal peter i think that's fantastic it's the axe first right and then you see the yes. axe in the hand and he kind of walks yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think everything like that whole entire last scene is blocked extremely well yeah. um you know right up to peter slitting his own throat. does it stop um, at all because then it would pan up over that that divider right and then show the show daria walking in and then the other inspector and then it would show him backing up into the corner as kind of like in fear type thing yeah it it, it plays out like obviously the reveal uh -huh. and then we have the police come through and then it's like he's yeah it, it's kind of a weird one because he sort of doesn't know what he's doing but he does at the same time so it's played on like perfect timing uh -huh. so as after it's revealed that he's the killer he goes down to caress the body then the police run in and it's like it looks like he's just found her uh -huh. you know and um but even after that you know uh it's just fucking bonkers it's yeah. just perfect our agenda mm -hmm. to a t and the violence of the whole scene is to me perfection and you know a a even the even the perfect reveal of peter standing behind germani as well you know yeah me, Jamani, Bob's down, Peter's there, Bob's back up. How the fuck do you stay that still that you perfectly don't really perfectly feel? Yeah, it's like perfect, center framed. I, that whole ending is fucking fantastic. That seems famous enough. The Wikipedia article for this movie just straight up has it. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. It's it's just there. Like if you go down into the uh, the casting and like filming section of it, it literally is just like here's a dope ass scene from the movie that you want. <laughs> like it just has. But that's only because it inspired other people to recreate that in theirs. Obviously, De Palma for Raising Cain, like it says. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, 
I think that whole ending is fucking amazing. Now, sidebar, from the Argento films that you guys have watched, where does this rank on twists? for you i think i honestly like it more okay. I, I think uh pretty high I, I probably actually like this twist a bit more than even like suspiria's and that's one of my favorite movies of all time you like this okay brody i'd have to agree with nick i like the reveal of it um yeah like i said earlier i was just guessing from start to finish who the fucking killer was um this definitely ranks up higher but i i really still think that uh, the bird with the crystal plumage one is still one of mm-hmm. my favorites because it's literally it just a perspective thing yeah and it's very well done now it's extremely subtle trauma's up there too because that's also a perspective thing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> mixed with this if that scene if you think of like things head on wink wink uh spoiler alert uh head on uh <laughs> Fly <laughs> directly to the forehead. Uh, <laughs> okay, anyway, anyway. Uh, favorite effect or death, boys? Uh, paint the wall red? <laughs> It's definitely one. On the <laughs> yeah, it's fucking rad. Do you see eye to eye with Tarantino on a lot of things? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there, Mr. Bearson. You know, it, obviously over the top blood splatter, but it's because it's on white walls. And she's yeah. like wearing a white dress. It just makes it even more effective. Um, yeah. Honorable mentions. Axe to the head, maybe. Uh Oh, the first killer? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's whenever like, Peter kills the other killer. The that's other right, yes. Yeah. The t-shirt, that's pretty cool. That, yeah, yeah. that one's not bad. Uh, what was his name? The kid that was shadowing Peter. John. His was his was kind of lame. Just <laughs> strangled. Uh, yeah, just strangled a car. I do it, like it was, how he's like, I gotta uh, fucking see it. If I'm gonna die, I wanna see who it is. So he's like forcing yeah. himself to turn around. He turns around, son of a bitch! <laughs> 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 I wonder, I wonder what ran through his head when he saw Peter's face after that. He was like, I came back and you were knocked the fuck out with a rock. Did you just clobber yourself? God damn it. I guess I'll die. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, Brody mentioned the axe to the head. That is pretty brutal. There's enough to fuck John up for half the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, Did he throw the axe out the window or was he just... <laughs> I don't know what he threw at the I window. I couldn't tell. <laughs> I, the window. <laughs> I think the axe was still laying on the ground. Yeah. And it, lo- it looked like he threw a rock <laughs> through the window, but he was inside. So I don't <laughs> I don't that that part was a little bit weird. I was watching that. I was like, what the fuck did he just do? <laughs> and then he broke the window and he just stood there for a second. I was like, run, <laughs> get the fuck away. It was like last night I was talking to TJ about it. I said, oh, yeah, I've just basically seen old mate get clobbered in the head with an axe. And he's like, has the arm scene come up yet? And I'm like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn it. So I was just like waiting for the rest of the movie for this arm scene. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, here we go. Yep. I mean, for a fucking treat. <laughs> um, Maria's wasn't bad either. She fought that dog for so fucking long. <laughs> There's more suspense in this dog scene than all of Cujo. <laughs> that is fair. As a yes. massive, massive Stephen King fan, I do not like Cujo. There's one cool shot in Cujo, and I will forever shit on that movie because I watched it recently, and I was like, this is fucking boring. Like, it's not a good movie. No. It's not a good. I don't even like Christine either, to be entirely honest. Eh, it's not scary to me. 
a fucking Chrysler. Dude. <laughs> it's a fucking Chrysler. <laughs> I'm fucking scared. Of, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm more scared of, of my fucking Chevy Prism out there <laughs> than that fucking Chrysler. What do you guys think about the story? I really like it. I've just overall enjoyed this movie, like almost every aspect of it. I do think a little bit of the exposition dump from the detective at the end gets a little convoluted um, while he's like explaining all the backstory for Peter and he's just like, hello, I am here to explain every single reason why this guy is a murderer um, instead of, you know, kind of allowing the audience to sort of piece it together, which they do, especially through the flashback scenes, which I've mentioned are probably some of my favorite. I think they could have explained a bit more through those and had a little bit less of the detective coming in and reading the plot synopsis to the... (laughs) the audience but i mean overall it's really really good definitely keeps you guessing like i said earlier it's it, it's definitely different than the other jolly that uh, argento's made especially with the, the way the story plays out uh the twist is super unique like we've mentioned earlier it's it's definitely standout-ish in its filmography fuck I mean, I absolutely love the relationship between the characters. I love how the characters uh, completely switch at at a point in the film, and it kind of changes your expectations for what a good Jallo film should be. Yep. Yeah. No. I um. I'd have to agree with both. You I actually enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it plays as this murder mystery that unfolds into this fucking body count massacre towards the end, and it's, it's definitely got a fantastic twist, like I said, and. I'll, I'll keep saying like it was just really fun to try and guess who the serial killer was at the end and I think Argento really made it his own and yeah he come out guns blazing with his uh, like jello after all these years he was saying he was making fantasy films so he's definitely come out strong and made a name for himself again back in the the, the genre he created so I do really like that that was kind of his approach to it was while he was making those fantasy films he saw all of the the similar uh, similar Jello films coming out and everything, and was just like, "You little shits! I made this shot. Okay, you want to see how it's done?" <laughs> and then came back and did another one. Like, yeah. I just really like that aspect to it. Impact and takeaways. I'd say that this definitely kind of reasserted Ardario Argento as the king of the jolly in Italy. Uh, like he kind of reclaimed the crown that was rightfully his anyway uh, after doing Inferno, which is by no means a bad film, just different for the time and not exactly what people, I guess, were wanting to see. We can definitely appreciate that film more now. But definitely the way that this film is looked at today, it's highly regarded and a lot of people talk about Tenebre. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the theme song kicks ass. It's definitely I one of the it. more memorable Argento theme songs. Uh, has ties to the show, for uh, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I remember watching this film from the first time, and of course having that twist completely blow me away. Having the cinematographer blow the cinematography blow me completely away. Uh, yeah, fuck. So it. The, the one thing I. Oh, sorry, Nick. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, So I was wrong. It came out February 13th, 1987 in the U.S. Okay, so it probably didn't stand out. <laughs> Five full years after the movie came out is when we got it. Jesus. Brody? Yeah. Yeah, no, like, um, the one thing I really take away from this film and Argento's previous work, it doesn't matter if you hate the film throughout the entire film, you always got you, you always know that the last... 20 minutes is going to be fucking phenomenal with his films no matter what so you can literally sit there throughout the whole movie maybe not like it but you know you're in for a fucking treat when you get to that last 20 minutes no matter what uh it's just 
batshit crazy. You know, it always gives you something to look forward to. And I think this film and Phenomena definitely showcase that side of storytelling and it's it's great to watch and see unfold. Um, overall, yeah, if you have not seen this film, definitely fucking watch it, if not buy it, because it's, yeah, you're in for a fucking wild ride. I know, it's definitely, it's a must-see, especially if you like Jolo or specifically Argento. Um, definitely. Definitely watch this. Um, I mean, you can already see, we've already mentioned it, uh, specifically De Palma, the impact that it had, um, with De Palma basically straight up taking the crane shot and putting it in the untouchables, which is one of the best movies I think ever made. Um, and if you can influence <laughs> one of the best movies ever made, it definitely puts you up there. Um, I, I definitely would say the impact, even just on a personal level for Argento, um, is definitely visible considering this was his return to Jallo. Um, and who knows if we even would have got Mother of Tears in the end if this movie had not been made, if Salvatore had just been like, hey, kid, do what you're good at. <laughs> Like, go back to that, do that, uh, and then, you know, had that, that influence on him to, to go back and make this. It does create a cool what if in your head. Yeah. Like, what if he just, no, screw you, dad. I'm going to go make these movies from now yeah. on. I mean, or, he kind of did after, after this with Phenomena, because I don't think yeah. that his dad produced that one, right? He did, right? Don't believe so. Um, his brother may have, um, was it Claudio? Yeah, Claudio. Uh, let me see. We did that episode with Steve, didn't we? I was not on the phenomenal one. Yes. So that, that would have been Steve. It's got me kind of thinking maybe, no, I think him and his dad are fighting maybe. I'm not entirely sure. I think we, creative differences we said thing. something yeah. because he was just like, fuck it. I'm going to do whatever I want. And that's why that film's so weird. It includes a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm all for that shit. Yeah. Oh. And train Dark. flies. Uh, Dario produced Phenomena yep. himself uh, through DAC film. Yep. So Salvatore was not on that one. Yeah, yeah. So, so like he literally was like, I'm going to do my own thing after this because he literally needed to blow off Steve, apparently. But anyway, boys, let's rate this bad boy. So this week's rating is beautifully shot beachside dream sequence orgies out of five. Brody, what's your score? Going to give it a 4.1. Slick okay. Nick. Uh, I'm going to have to give it a 3.8. I'm going to give it a 4. And that is an LCE score of 4. Beautifully shot beachside dream sequence orgies out of 5. <laughs> for 1982's Tenebre. Nice. And next week's episode is a Brody pick, right? That is correct. I am bringing you down to New Zealand, people. And we are going to be watching Once Were Warriors from 1994. It is definitely an intriguing film uh just really captures the aesthetic of realism um boba fett it's a brutal movie we uh we actually had to watch it at school so oh it's, it's one of those yeah it's definitely yeah it's it's a grim grim story uh but it's presented really well with um, boba fett exactly tamora morrison's in this as your lead ah yes actor jake the muss so yeah, you're gonna you're in for a treat when every time he graces the screen with his presence, he, he's a force. He's a powerhouse. I mean, what more can I say about guy? But I'll give you that next week. Fair enough. Fucking eight, and I'm excited to see that film. I've never seen it before. I hadn't heard of it until now. 
Or, well, not today, but, you know, when we picked it. <laughs> for sure. Well, guys, I'd say that's it for this episode of Lights, Camera, Exploitation, Your Guide to Exploitive Cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, signing off. This is your doppelganger, Kanga Banger, all the way from down under saying, I'll catch you next week, motherfuckers. Slick Nick, signing off, y'all. Love ya. Is anybody here? Please, help me. Tenebrae, terror beyond belief. So we have Argento on creating Jello films again. He goes on by saying, What had I, why had I done, why, what the fuck, why had I done a Jello? He's talking like an Italian. Why had I done a Jello after such a long absence? Why, mainly because I was annoyed that so many other directors were doing Jello every year. You know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, good call. Classic. <laughs> classic Argento. <laughs> That's a good one for the bloopers, mate. <laughs>